Welcome to our backyard. This is the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We are two friends having a discussion after everyone else has passed out or gone to bed. Grab a drink and listen as we discuss everything from automation, space exploration, and why the meaning of life is 42. We continue with part two of Renewable versus Green Energy. What's the difference? How are they the same? In different forms. Well, speaking of burning stuff, biofuel. Are we talking about biodiesel or are we talking about biomass? Uh, I'm talking about biofuel, so such as uh, Basically adding corn ethanol. to diesel to make it last not as long? Okay, yes. Okay, cool. Okay. Yes, okay. We're, we're, on, we're, we're a little bit on the same page here. Um, biofuel is dumb. Biofuel is a Band-Aid uh, solution to a big problem. Yes, you get some green from it, but it's not really renewable. I mean, the whole premise of biofuel is that you burn it, but the plants, since they they suck up carbon dioxide, which is what you produce when you burn stuff, is neutral. So hence making it green, which is not true. So the process of photosynthesis, which is turning sunlight and carbon dioxide into sugar, water, and all that fun stuff, is 1%. It's about 1%. Solar panels are nearly 20% to 22%. I mean, photosynthesis is garbage. It's not neutral at all. And you're not talking about all the water, the transportation of water. It's Biofuel is garbage. And plus, you need to subsidize it by the government. It's Which is never a good sign. No, it's it's uh, biofuel, especially ethanol, is is not efficient at all. It's simply a headline and a band aid solution to a problem. There is I can't find any benefit for it for long term, Nick. I I you got to help me out here if there's anything. I'm all right, missing. so I'm also not a huge fan of biofuel or biodiesels. Um, so I guess the 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 plus is you know if you add biodiesel to to your diesel mix which most biodiesel is cut with like something like 50 percent regular diesel some some mixture of regular diesel and for gasoline it's 10 percent. just that yeah um it will make it go further it's not always as good for your engine so like uh especially for like straight biodiesels you need to add two sets of like more filters and special biodiesel filters than normal but what it's it will make if you pump a gallon of biodiesel in you're not going to go as far as you are for a gallon of diesel but you will pay less for it now that's a lot because it was subsidized by the government i think if we paid the full cost of what the corn the ethanol sold for whatever it is then it wouldn't pay for itself i think it was one of those it seemed like a good idea at the time, but now we're committed, so we better make it work kind of things. Uh, that's just me. Well, a big problem I saw is lobbyists. There are huge farm lobbyists for corn because corn right now goes for 4 to $7 depending on the market it's going to. And lobbyists are trying to keep that going even though it's not the best solution because it produces, one, a lot of jobs. And two, I mean, it's their industry. They want to keep it going, a lot of money. It's kind of being on a sinking ship. It's not the 
best solution at all, but they have already so much money and time committed to it, they're 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 sticking with their guns, which is not the best solution. It's, Sometimes you got to admit it's, defeat. Uh, the one thing that I will give the corn, it's it's the one time you see the uh, environmental group stick up for the farmers because they seem to be invested in the uh, what you call it ethanol the biofuel whatever and so you will have uh environmental groups lobby for the biofuel as well it, they choose the wrong hill to fucking die on there I'm not saying what they're doing is right i just think it's funny that this is the one they're like yes farmers are friends now farmers are friends not food like it's all about that corn and soybeans man environmentalists are all midwesterners at heart apparently well i also want to point this out uh, a big point for the lobbyist for biofuel, which tends to be corn here in the United States, is jobs, which it's a lot easier to hire people to farm because Nick's probably going to hate me for this. It's a lot more unskilled labor to process to produce biofuel than it is to make solar panels, geothermal, or wind turbines. It's definitely a lot more American jobs than it is to produce those things. That is true. That is very true. Uh but that being said, it's the amount of skilled labor versus unskilled labor, I would say, if it was all produced in America, it's a lot easier for unskilled labor to produce biofuel than the others. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I just, I, I guess I'm just confused, like, I don't know, I never think of uh, agriculture as like a huge job producer. It's less than 1% of the American public is works in agriculture. Oh, if I... If I saw correctly, if I, it's either three thousand or three hundred thousand, big number difference. But I b- believe it was the more than three hundred thousand because you don't have just biofuel for the farmers for making the corn. You have the processing the corn, the transportation of the corn, selling it to the gas stations and the gas stations themselves. Those are all factors for biofuel. So here's a, a random thought slash conspiracy theory. So. Hold on for a sec. So we've all heard politicians say that we're advancing like green energy is going to bring so many jobs. Well, we've heard a lot of arguments. I mean, we haven't talked about it on this podcast yet, but solar and wind tend to not be very like job intensive, right? I mean, you got some production, but the maintenance isn't as much, but they talk about huge job numbers. So I wonder if it's mostly just the government needing some kind of huge production to so they can say we're creating x amount of jobs through green energy and they're basically saying well biofuel is the easiest way to get you know x amount of jobs so we can throw out saying we created x amount of jobs just no proof of that just random thought across my head what do you think i think most politicians will nickel and dime for any advantage they can get and i have no i I can see them very easily using any leverage point, whether it be for green energy, renewable energy, simply to make themselves and promote themselves. So I would not be surprised about that, but I'll be very frank. I will be very honest. If I had to choose between coal and biofuel, I'll take coal. I mean, yeah, I think that's because like, all right, so let's walk through like harvesting corn and, and getting it processed. You got to run equipment through it. You got to run herbicides through it. So you're making multiple passes through your field. Then you got to truck it somewhere. It's the same thing with coal. It's got to be. Well, you forgot also pumping the water. 
to, to plus water irrigation. Them. Well, not every not everything gets irrigation, but yeah, I see I I, I see your point. Um, but yeah, I I think it's about the same, you know, as coal. I I, I don't think biodiesels or ethanol or whatever you want to call it, biofuels is is productive at all. I just I think it's I think like what you're saying, it's kind of a waste of money and is probably a, a pol- political pipe dream somewhere. I definitely would go with coal. Um, before we get more into it, I think I, I should explain how biofuel slash ethanol is made. Um, so since me and Nick are both drinking, the yeast used to produce alcohol with, that we consume and feel good and like to yell at politicians when we are drinking, it's the same I yeast mean, used to... I mean, it's not just when we're drinking. It just happens more when we're drinking. <laughs> Well, that same yeast produced alcohol. It's the same yeast to produce ethanol, which is another type of alcohol, but a little bit more poisonous alcohol to humans. So, but how, what changes is the deprivity of oxygen. So, when ethanol has lack of oxygen, it is turned. I'm sorry. When yeast is uh, lack of oxygen, it produces ethanol. When it has oxygen, it produces the alcohol that we all drink, consume, and love, and beer and liquor and such like that. Uh, that yeast doesn't produce the same byproducts of it, and that yeast will die. I mean, that's how the process of distilling for alcohol versus and also ethanol is that yeast will eventually die from it. I mean, it keeps going until I mean, the, the concentration is too high, so it can't survive. That being said, it's still not the most efficient process ever. It's also not, I don't know. I just don't know. It's just, that's how you make biofuel pretty much is you take corn some sugar yeast same process you make alcohol but you your private of oxygen and it produces ethanol which we add to our gasoline and diesel which is non-environmental friendly simply because photosynthesis is only one percent efficiency rate so therefore we are burning more carbon dioxide than the plants are absorbing so you're telling me the government was like, let's make alcohol and then made it not fun. And that's how we got biodiesel, biofuels. Um, if I had a guess, it was a scientist trying to do well and the government came and ruined it. But, you know, I mean, the process, I mean, the process is if it works, you can run off biofuel, but it's not green. It is renewable, but it's not green. You can grow the same crops over again, but the carbon offsets, they're not, they don't even out. You're still in the red. I just remember like it was really big, probably like what twenty ten, and the only reason I maybe even earlier, and uh, the only reason I say that is because there was like six episodes in a row of Pimp My Ride where they turned all the cars into biodiesel cars that ran off like stuff from uh, either like a biodiesel plant or or food, um, what's it called fry fry food fry, f- holy shit. <laughs> um, What's the stuff like the frying, frying oil, old frying oil from restaurants, cooking, cooking oil. oil. And that was like when bio, when biofuel was big, I feel like. Okay. That's a, that's a little bit different. The vegetable oil, cooking oil is different biofuel, which still isn't carbon neutral or car- it's still carbon red, if, but. Well, I don't think at that time anyone was worried about that. That was just like, again, the pimp my ride time frame does not overlap with the green time frame. Those are two separate timelines. Is it bad that I would immediately remove that, remove that engine and just add a Cummings engine? 
I mean, to each their own. I mean, probably. They did a lot of stupid shit in Pimp My Ride. We didn't watch it because they made like cars that were super convenient for people. <laughs> I watched it because I want to see how they're going to fit 65 fucking shoes in this guy's hatchback. All right, all right, all right. Let's 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 stay on topic. All right, biofuel is renewable, but it's not green. You can grow the plants over again, but it won't be carbon offset. I mean, granted, it'd be lower carbon than fossil fuels, such as uh, natural gas and oil, uh, which are not good. Uh, they, I mean, natural gas burns at a pretty high rate, high temperature rate, but boy. It is a heavy pi- heavy price to pay to do so. Petroleum, petroleum, it's not great at burning, but we burn it anyhow. I mean, I mean, I mean, it is good at burning at a four-stroke engine, um, but not the greatest at producing energy at a large scale for homes. It's also we need the petroleum for a million other things. Petroleum used for everything, which is a whole separate podcast episode. Uh, but yeah, natural gas. I think is the next step, Nick, which I believe you have some more information well, on. I was going to say that something that ties into this would be biomass. So burning biomass, kind of similar to biofuels. If you had anything on that, I can, I can go. Um, go. Go right ahead and I'll jump in when I can. Cool. So kind of the same process Mike was talking about of plants are produced and they're burned. Um, burning biomass can mean a lot of different things. Uh whether it's burning plant products or it's burning like trash. Uh, most of the time when I, when I personally think about it, I think of burning uh, wood products. So I work in organic, organic material. material. Comes to my mind. Yeah. I work in the wood products industry. We have the company I work for owns a few, you know, lumber mills. A byproduct of that is sawdust chips. Uh, the company I used to work for, California had the same thing. They had a, a cogeneration plant, which basically they burned that to create steam to produce electricity. And it powers not only their plant, but also surrounding homes. Um, and I thought that this was a, a greener energy because in the past, this extra, this sawdust and chips would get turned into uh, basically just be sent to landfill. Right now, we export a lot of this. So. I'm not, um, Fukushima was the Japanese nuclear reactor that was hit by the tsunami, correct? Yeah, that's okay. correct. So after that, Japan is trying to move to like 100% renewable. Um, and so they were looking for, they're looking for wood. They're, a lot of people, small country. Uh, so they had to seek outside their country. So the United States sends some wood over there. And I think Australia does as well because they're trying to, turn to something that's 100 uh, percent renewable depending on who who asks what you look at it um basically it's the same thing like we talked about for most other burning things that burn to produce electricity things get put into something that's hot steam or steam is produced stuff turns and uh electricity is the output now the thing with biomass is again it really depends and we were talking to what's considered biomass, like out here, uh, by out here, I mean out in the West. At one point in time, most uh, lumber mills had some kind of ele- electrical power plant that burned the excess wood to create power for the surrounding area, if not the mill and a few houses. Um, and to be f- 
kind of giving you an update. Lumber mills are are doing are reducing waste, uh, reducing waste. Oh my gosh, reducing waste by using all sorts of technology, including like X-rays to look at a log and figure out what needs to be cut to create a board. But not every single log that goes in is going to create an exact board. You might have overlap because that's uh, that's kind of the way it is. Some of it gets used, some doesn't. Um, so the thing with chip biomass from from lumber mills is it's all like it's there so we can ship it to another country or we can use it here and part of the reason why we don't use it here is because the emission regulations are, are sort of tough um but that being said in sierra pacific in california their cogeneration plant uh one of the biggest they have sequestered 138,000 138 million 642,000 tons of CO2 or which is the equivalent of removing 25,207,000 vehicles from the road and basically I think what they're saying is we didn't take that wood and put it back into a landfill to decompose we used it and scrubbed the air that comes out it's one of the big things with anything in the United States that has emissions like kind of we talked about most of the stuff you're seeing is water vapor any emissions in the United States are not only like tracked super heavy, but also uh, it's kind of a no-go. You got to have a pretty good reason of why you're just spewing carbon, but not that it doesn't happen, but it's uh, people really frown on that, especially in the state of California uh, where this is going on. But that's something that's kind of around me that I see a lot. And to me, um, it I think there's a difference and not, and it doesn't always make a difference in the literature of, burning say like a leftover wood products like wood chips versus burning trash because both produce heat true but uh i think like one of those things is a little bit more sustainable because we're always cutting and, and planting wood but um i've been rambling on if i can intervene real quick yes. um i want to save trash for a different episode uh because there are a couple countries that solely run their entire uh energy fi- uh infrastructure off burning trash focusing on biomass in my mind i immediately think of organic material which i'm going to stick on organic material burning is the same thing as coal burning uh the only difference is we grow it in the ground versus recycle it in filters another important part is the sawdust as technology improves we could turn that sawdust we can turn that sawdust into carbon nanotubes using uh god what's it called flashpoint uh mm, flash Ooh, ooh! i hear many scientists engineers screaming in my side of my head uh it's using high electricity at a very flashpoint to produce into carbon nanotubes so that sawdust might be a viable product for the future for america so rather than shipping it off or burning it you might want to keep it because having carbon nanotubes at a mass production scale is kind of the dream for the entire world. Uh, simply burning something to produce steam, I mean, that's no different than burning logs that our ancestors did. There are much more fuel-efficient things to burn. By, again, coal. Coal is a lot more efficient at burning than cellulose in plants. It's pure carbon. Carbon burns much more efficiency than uh, cellulose in plants. I mean, I mean... I understand renewable, but they're both renewable, and they're both technically green. I mean, the coal already exists. The biomass already exists. 
It just depends. Again, we're talking about organic biofuel. I mean, you could make an argument for the byproduct of plants you don't use, so like corn, like the stock, rather than give it to cows if we're, we don't need it anymore. We're turning it into biodiesel. You could burn that to produce electricity, which I could see in a pinch. But again, I don't see it as a viable source. It's, yes, well, I think it's, it's renewable. Uh, it's more so you have that, like it's, um, we're going to have wood chips no matter what, right? We need to cut, uh, obviously, for those of you who don't know, I have a dog in this fight. I grow trees for a living. So th- this is where the friction comes in with me and Mike. But uh, so we're, we're going to cut trees and grow trees no matter what, because people need places to live for houses. Uh, so we're going to have extra, like we're going to have, the, we, and we do our best to reduce that extra but what i guess the question is what do we do with this now not all of it is is sawdust sized um most of it was is bigger it gets chipped up into wood chip size now obviously you could chip it down into sawdust size but as of right now the the market is willing to pay more for wood chips than it is for for sawdust for nanotubes so is is it should we like what what is the What's the right, I mean, what are we supposed to do with that that extra? As of right now, we're shipping it overseas. I'd rather have a plant. Me personally, I, I think it makes more sense to have a plant here. Now, to be fair, Japan wants to, like, you know, Japan, other countries, doesn't have to be Japan, but they want to have renewable energy. So if we don't ship it overseas, someone else will ship it to them. They can't produce it there. So... It's not like it's not, they're not going to run it off that. Maybe they might, maybe they will. If everyone stops, they might change. But this is a definitely a different, way different topic. I got way off course. I don't, I don't know. I guess the question is, Mike, we're going to have leftovers from, from processing wood products. And same thing with corn, uh, any, any kind of agriculture product. I mean, if you've ever taken your garden clippings and weedings to a, to the county dump, you know they have a whole giant compost thing going on there. Like there's excess plant material floating around. So two things. One statement being just because we can doesn't mean we should. The second being I believe it's close to 30 or 40% of all corn grown is for biofuel in the United States. If we stop using biofuel, we can grow other agricultural things so we would have less waste. So that would remove the biofuel waste, which we would have, and the excess of. Uh, for those wood chips, there are, I'm guessing, because I not, did not research this, but I'm guessing there's numerous applications for this. Uh, the simply burning to produce electricity might be the most obvious one, but necessarily the best one. Um, that being said, don't really know. Did not come across this in my research, nor did I research it. So that's all I can give you. I, I, the only statement I can really give you is just because we can doesn't mean we should. Yeah. So, um, again, just this is probably something that's not very common in the, I'd say most of the country. I just, I just feel like this is a something that originated like a small logging town used, you know, electricity from the mill to power everything. And then it kind of, it really died off like you it's not very common that's why i referenced only a few actual ones that are still doing it um but the fact of the matter is we we have this extra you know stuff and we're right now we're shipping it overseas you could i'm sure use it to um 
what's it called put in gardens and stuff but people don't like it because it's not uh, the right color you know it's it looks like fresh new wood chips it doesn't look like thick until you get royalty to do it and then it becomes fashionable <laughs> that's true there you go so we have to get uh biden to put uh no 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 uh mm, let's get uh celebrities let's get celebrities doing it i don't think we can okay anyway but yeah so (laughs) um biomass burning is a thing um i didn't know what else you had the only thing i wanted to touch a little bit on was uh nuclear plants let's get into nuclear uh we uh, just a little over you. We still have nuclear dams, waves, and oh my god, my <laughs> I can't believe we forgot all hopeful. those. Okay, yeah. So, if I may, for nuclear, I would like to define the difference between fission and fusion. Please do. Fission is the more common nuclear plant facility operation, which occurs when large atoms are smashed by nucleus. So they smash them apart. They they fizzle out. They fizzle into small pieces. Fusion is taking atoms and combining them. You fuse them together. Fission, being the more common one, easier to do. It's, easy, it's much easier to break things apart than it is to combine things. But with fusion, it's more efficient. It's seven times more stronger than fission, but we're not quite there yet. That being said, that's the difference between fission and fusion. Fission is what we use. Fusion is what we're trying to get to. Fission is breaking things apart. Fusion is combining things apart. And Nick, please take it away. Nuclear's got a pretty bad rap. <laughs> For those of you who don't know. Uh, Chernobyl. <clears throat> uh, yeah, so there's a, a lot a lot of bad, a lot of instances of, of nuclear not uh, working. You have Chernobyl, Fukushima, Three Mile Island, and uh, it, some of the, the arguments against Nuclear, kind of similar to coal, is it's been around for so long and they haven't figured it out by now. It's just not going to work. It's going to be too, too unsafe. That being said, man, is it? Uh, do they not create a lot of waste? Now, to be, they create. We went over this in um, the nuclear storage episode. They create a lot of waste, but a lot of that waste is low-level radioactive material. Nothing that's. It's not the the Homer Simpson green sludge that you're seeing before. Well, France might have some different words for that, but sure. Well, <laughs> you see, France built their fucking nuclear reactor on a peninsula <laughs> inside of another country, so not taking good neighborly advice from the French. Um, but nuclear power produces 9 kilograms of CO2 Per megawatt hour, which is less than uh, pretty much everything. Although, Mike, you said you saw a figure that said wind produces four and a half grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour, which would be less than the nine that that I saw for nuclear, but it's pretty good. So I saw that I see a different, I I came across a different figure. I saw wind was at 4.9 second to nuclear. Nuclear I came across was 1.9. Uh, again, this data is not standardized, and it's asinine to trying to process it all. Yeah, and I think it's also I definitely kind of gave up to... after trying to to put them all in an order and see who was counting what, and it was too much uh, for for me to do. And but yeah, I, I definitely agree. So, but it, either way, it seems like we're seeing nuclear as the least. Yes, I saw nuclear as the least 
carbon byproduct. But I think it's also important to note out that nuclear is the most green, but it's also not a renewable source. We will eventually run out of plutonium and uranium, well, unless we figure out how to use thormium to create nuclear facilities, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, I just wanted to point that factor out because that's a very important factor. Uh, uranium, plutonium, it's not exactly the most common materials. If we could figure out how to use thormium, that'd be great, but that's uh, that's kind of like the gold standard. That's kind of finding like potential momentum. It's probably not going to happen. Yeah, so I, I just wanted to, to touch on nuclear because, like we said, is it renewable? No. Is it green? Uh, I would say so. It's probably the greenest one we got. In, in my mind, it's got one of the lowest footprints. Um, you know, storage is an issue, and, and we talked all about that in our nuclear storage episode, but there there are ways to do it, but it's kind of the my backyard argument of it's is pretty sweet, but I don't want it by me kind of thing. But that being said, it is it has some of the lowest emissions and lowest waste compared to anything else. To me, it's just high risk, high reward. You have the high reward of having a ridiculous energy source of being able to boil water, spin turbines, because that's what nuclear facilities do. They use the nuclear fission to simply boil water, like most processes do, to spin turbines. Uh, Super efficient. Uh, You have almost no carbon dioxide as a byproduct. And yeah, but the only problem is you have nuclear by you, which no one wants Godzilla that's rare. I mean, we can count on one hand the amount of facilities that have. We can count on have. one hand the number of giant lizard attacks in Tokyo. <laughs> but we can honestly count on one hand the amount of nuclear power plants that have failed. The only problem is if they do fail, it's a big problem. And So high risk, high reward. Here's the thing that I, again, this is a very frustrating topic to research for multiple reasons, but... Uh, to me personally, it seems like environmentalists do not like nuclear. Um, so for one, you know, they talk about, and we kind of touch on this in our, our cities podcast of where should cities be, but they, they talked all about the weather and about warehouse nuclear reactors shouldn't be in certain locations due to weather and climate. I think we can all agree they shouldn't be coastal, but they do need to be near water. Um, but so they had almost every just in, in nuclear defense almost every burning power source needs to be near for water yeah, sure and uh another thing is um i saw you know they so but if you talk if you say you know like take for example the texas ice storm and you so you talk about how wind and solar is vulnerable to weather like well that's different uh it is frustrating because yeah there are two different sources of energy but you can't bring up weather concerns for one but not the other um, another thing was there is a an argument for the french in covid you had uh they they were saying on one hand you had an argument of it's the nuclear reactor they were lax on regulations because of covid they're working at minimum capacity and then another p- plant Another country brought had everyone working there, and they were like, "Well, that's not that was a super spreader event, so they should have shut down." It's not one of those things you can just like shut down. And 
it just kind of seemed like there was it doesn't matter what nuclear reactors do that they're they're out to get got um yes i also think it location 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 um for fukushima if i remember correctly the main reason it had a catastrophe is simply because they had no backup energy source to help pump out water when the floods came uh for chernobyl i actually don't remember maybe it was the carbon rods it, it definitely was failed. the carbon rods are supposed to have so there's a minimum i think it was, I, i'm gonna throw out a number it had a five in it i don't know if it was 15 or 35 but they the russians had two win yeah maybe a un regulation for nuclear wouldn't be the worst idea compared to simply country by country making their own regulations. Uh, there are already some for nuclear energy of making sure it's stuff like that, but maybe a little bit stricter, maybe, maybe a little less, a little bit more consequences. Cause if you mess up a nuclear facility, you kind of mess up a 50 to a hundred mile square radius at the minimum. Yep. And just like, every form of energy we have to date we have wildlife concerns um so we talked about water and nuclear plants use water to cool everything well they have to pump that warm water out generally back into lake or river wherever their water came from an increase in water temperature is not good for fish uh, we kind of talked about this in the salmon episode above a certain temperature certain fish can't spawn um salmon steelhead but uh, fish are very temperature dependent for water. The uh, warmer the water is, the less oxygen it can hold, which uh, fish live in water, but they still need oxygen. That's dissolved in the water when it's not there. I don't think drowning is the right word, but it's not good. <laughs> but, uh, uh, well, that, yep. being, that being said, uh, coal and natural gas and biofuel all do the same thing. They heat up the water that they're near the near water source. Yep. Yeah, I mean that's a it's a common thing with <laughs> damned if you do, damned if you don't. Then I... God, if you're trying to transition to dams, it's a perfect time. But I hate the pun. Yes. Oh, you will learn. You will learn the metric system, and you will learn my puns. Damn you, Mike! All right, so oh that hurt. hydropower. I fucking love yep. that. I just love that. Oh, you're doing puns. Oh, feet. So could it. this is what happened? Three three hours of recording, multiple whiskeys. I'll I'll give you one every now and then. I am the devil on your shoulder whispering, do the puns. Uh, to be fair, with all the devils on my shoulder, saying puns is probably not the worst one I've had. So, <laughs> damn, I gotta step go up there. my game. All right, we're gonna we're gonna pull these damn puns out for all we all we got, aren't we? So, hydroelectric power dams, they've been around for a while. We got. Probably the Hoover Dam, the most famous dam. The biggest dam in China, the Three Gorges. Hydrogen power was the original green power. I mean, our ancestors have been using it to turn down wheat into flour for, God, since agriculture, I would imagine. So it's been something that's always there. And uh, the hard thing about dams is they really vary in size. Um, like, again, the Three Gorges Dam, which is the largest dam, uh, I'm trying to look up how much how big it is uh, but also there's smaller dams for you know towns and stuff that just you know you can walk across you can jump across um, and that with, with that being said while you're finding the figure uh, in 2019 the entire world produced 1,000 
308 gigawatts of energy from hydroelectric dams, which is nothing to laugh at. That is a significant number, and that is high productive, especially if you're talking about all these different things of monocarbon produced, I mean, reliability, I mean, water is going to pretty much flow pretty consistently in rivers, so you don't have to worry about transportation so much. Yeah, so the uh, the Three Gorges Dam in 2020 produced 112 terawatts. Mike, you're going to have to help me. So it's watts, so kilowatts, megawatts, gigawatts, one, terawatts. So, so point one twelve gigawatts or 11.2. Yes. Oh, shit. Uh, hey, anyway. It's, it's, we've been drinking too much to do math. Continue. Okay, so our, we'll put in something we can understand. It's 7,600 7, feet long, which is 2,300 meters, and it's 600 feet above sea level. <gasps> Did you just use meters? Use, You're using puns and meters for dams? Hot damn. It's readily available, and uh, we've been going back and forth, so I figured I'd do you a solid. But I did want to say it used... 27.2 million cubic meters of concrete or 35.6 million cubic yards of concrete. Ooh, that's a lot of one sand, two carbon dioxide. Which brings me into CO2 per kilowatt hour. Now, a lot of people didn't have CO2 per kilowatt hour for dams because they don't really have emissions. Uh, but like we talked about, Concrete drying, hardening, whatever the process you want to call it is, produces emissions. Um, so the study I read, and I not that I necessarily agree with it, but uh, I'm going to break it down for you real quick. So the study said that they, they calculated the CO2 per kilowatt hour, or sorry, the CO2 per lifetime uh, of the dam. And they did something that I I think is kind of stupid. They calculated the CO2 per decomposition in the river behind the dam as part of that CO2. Now, my question is that they didn't answer in the study and it was hard to tell. Did you take a baseline CO2 reading because you're going to have decomposition in rivers of organic matter, whether or not there's a dam there, uh, just because that's actually how nature works. You're gonna have decomposition well, uh, everywhere, I guess. Um, so they divided the dams into three areas. You had non-tropic, boreal, and tropical. Now, the hydroelectric run that's non-tropic produced 5 to 152 uh, tons of CO2 compared to the boreal or sorry, that's kilograms of CO2, so 5 to 152 kilograms of CO2 per megawatt hour. And then the boreal forest produced 160 to 250 kilograms of CO2, and then the tropical produced 1,300 to 3,000 kilograms of CO2 per megawatt hour. Now, why is the tropical so much higher? Well, you have you have a lot more organic matter in biological activity in a tropical area. So just... Well, I would have figured I mean, think about, the higher temperatures would have made the concrete 
solidify faster. No, well, the study wasn't measuring. They were measuring the concrete plus any decomposition that happens upstream of the dam, basically. Mm. So basically, they're just measuring decomposition in the river. And so my my point of this study, I think the most important part to look at is the 5 to 152 kilograms of CO2 per megawatt hour for non-tropic. Um, so that's your, your farther north, your Canadian stuff. I think that's a more realistic number of just CO2 release per kilowatt hour, not including decomposition. Because, well, yes, um, so if you have you create a reservoir, you're going to have organic matter in there that gets flooded, and it will decompose. But my question is how, and, and it wasn't answered in the study, how do you differentiate between that and the natural rate of decomposition in any kind of environment? So, and since they didn't differentiate it, it kind of seemed like a hit job on hydro, but the area, like the Canadian stuff that doesn't have a lot of, it's it's frozen most of the year, right? So you don't have that much uh, decomposition going on. So the the... 0.5 to 152 kilograms per CO2, that's probably more based on the gases that are released from the concrete. And it, it's it's a hard number to fill because you have some dams like the Three Gorges, the Hoover Dam, the Bonneville Dam, some huge dams. And other times you just have a little dam over a river that's providing power to a town. So I couldn't find anything that was like per cubic foot of dam this is how much you're getting um, another hard part is the lifespan of dams um, i came across a lifespan of dams that said it's about a hundred years for a dam uh, but i don't know how accurate that is because i feel like well if we're at a hundred years then the hoover dam is in trouble that's my main point is uh we've had dams that are still going longer than that now well, I guess we're not quite there. Hoover Dam was 1931, so we still got 10 years. Yes, but I feel like there's, especially in Europe, got to be some dams that have over 100 years. Oh, maybe. <laughs> we, we blew them all up, remember? That is a very fair point. Or maybe it's not hydroelectric dams. Maybe I'm just thinking solely on dams. Those are very different things. Um, uh, this is supposed to be hydroelectric. Um, but I'm wondering if... Their main point is it needs upgraded after 100 years, which is true. We got better turbines, and we, we got fish passage turbines, more efficient turbines. I mean, it doesn't matter what uh, what field you're working. 100 years later, you're going to have stuff to upgrade. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if that was it. I, I, I definitely think dams can last longer than 100 years, personally. I'd wager they probably last more than 100 years if built efficiently. Um, efficiently. That being said, I am at a crossroads with dams. Dams, from an engineering standpoint, are extremely impressive and for producing electricity, extremely well. For being renewable, they are extremely well. For being green, they are extremely well. Their downside, I would say, is their environmental impact. So green, like we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, is more carbon based in our mind for this conversation but dams have a large impact on the environment from anywhere from salmon's which is take on back philosophy to uh changing quite literally the landscape of no longer flooded zones 
to algaes to all these different zones and dams come in more than one type of shape more than one type of shape for example we've all know the dam of crossing a river of hydro dams flowing through well there are certain hydro dams which are not dams indeed but it's the same process system they're used for water runoff and rivers where there are little divots cut off to the side where the water runs through then runs back in that produces electricity it's being more and more implemented in third world countries which is the same process of it i'm more a fan of that because it produces less environmental impact for the wildlife but again dams are really damn good efficient at producing electricity yeah so not only that but uh I was listening to these guys talk about dams and, and retrofitting dams because one of the big problems with dams is they're really old. Now, granted, we're we're sitting here saying we think it's longer than a hundred years. It's pretty well accepted they're going to last a hundred years. We're looking at say twenty to forty for solar, twenty for twenty for wind. I mean, that's you talk about green. That's uh, that's something's going to last. Now, obviously, Mike, you mentioned the environmental concerns of dams, but most of the time they're just getting, you know, new new turbine blades, uh, some kind of retrofit. Like it's not, you're not tearing it down and building it back up again. So I, I think just in the long term for, for being there for so long, it's extremely efficient, but there is a, a huge environmental impact of dams that people need to consider. Now I'm, I'm pretty pro dam. I just, it's, I, I personally as a, think it's crazy how much power and how quote-unquote clean it is obviously there there's impacts to to fish populations that's not really up for debate but you not only get that but with a lock system you can move stuff you move goods up and down river and control flooding so you don't flood towns below you so they're not just providing power they're also providing security for downriver communities See, I put dams in the same category as nuclear. They're dual-edged swords. Dams, they produce a lot of electricity. They're green. They're renewable. But they heavily impact the environment around them. Nuclear, they're green. They're not really renewable, but the, the damn thing lasts so long that's not really effective for most of humans' lifespans. Uh, but if they fail, it's catastrophe. I, I, I put dams nuclear in the same category of risk versus reward. I didn't quite realize that, but uh, another major problem I see with dams is location. We are putting dams simply in fast-flowing rivers, not necessarily slow rivers. And if we want to keep up with the environmental, not sorry, if we want to keep up with the energy-based demand. We might have to put them in slow rivers, and I wonder how that influences things. I'll be honest. I don't know how to build a dam. I understand you need to, you know, put in your foundation, stuff like that. But how do they build the foundation? Like, the actual process and steps of building a dam, I do not know. Which, I am wondering on what how much carbon is produced during that process. I mean, you mentioned it a little bit, Nick, with the carbon per kilowatt, but... I wonder how that has changed over the years or if that's changed at all. Um, I imagine it's gotten a little bit more efficient, but I don't think it's the, uh, I don't know, holy grail change that probably some people are looking for. 
had to guess. Um, so I, one of the, like we talked about, dams are pretty environmentally damning. Give you another one there, Mike. Um, so damn, you, you don't must get be a lot drunk of... if you keep getting all these damn jokes. <laughs> so you don't get a lot of of new dams being built, except in super low impact areas. So now there's two being built in the northern part of Canada because you're not having salmon runs. It, there's very minimal population up there. Um, but that's pretty much it that I saw. I don't think anyone's really building new dams. Most of the dam. Uh, the new dam stuff is about retrofitting older dams with newer blades. Um, another big problem with dams is because of uh, environmental legislation, you, to to get qualify for a grant or, or whatever, you need to do certain things to whether it be like a fishnet or new turbines that are fish friendly. You need to do something to uh, look out for the fish. But a lot of dams can't afford the initial like that that capital investment, so they just kind of keep doing what they're doing. So I almost feel like that'd be you know if we're, if we're talking about subsidies, that would almost be another good one, just because uh, it's something that the, the the industry's struggling with, and you might as well help out that that salmon uh, steelhead, whatever population it is, while you're while you're throwing money around for green technology. Yeah, uh, I mean, dams overall are slow and consistent as long as they're and quite good if they're placed in the right area. That being said, I'm also cautious of algae. Algae scares the hell out of me because of how efficient it is of killing things when it's the wrong type of algae. And sometimes dams can help produce that. That being said, I think the dual-edged sword. I think dams are fantastic at producing energy and being very neutral with the environment if done properly i i'm very surprised well i actually don't know how many locations can even have dams uh like you said nick only two new dams are being built i wonder how many already have dams or how many locations are even viable for being dams i wonder if there's a certain river flow rate that needs to be in order for a dam to be built i mean it doesn't make sense for a lazy slash slow river to have a dam built it's not going to have water rushing through. Yeah, I mean that that makes sense. You probably have to have either a uh, enough, you know, flow or be able to back up enough water in that area to create enough pressure to to move your turbines. But and then the other part of that is um so like China's Three Gorges dam, one of the, the biggest dams in the world. Uh they could do that because they just told those people to move. You can't you can't do that in most other parts of the country. You mean the world, um, actually, <laughs> or most other parts of the world? Yeah. Uh, when I say they told those people to move, they told them to move, and then if they didn't move, they just flooded anyway. That's not that's not how that works in a, most other places. If I had to guess, a good amount of places, but not most. Well, speaking of pressure and water, another thing that comes up when you think about rivers is they create waves and probably the bigger producer of waves in the world is the oceans it's a lot of energy that we're trying to capture there there too nick yeah so there's uh there's two right there's you have your your hydrokinetic energy which is basically 
running off the tides, then you have your hydropower. And those are the hydropower, are the ones you see that have like, I don't know, like things that go up and down with the waves. And the hydrokinetic is the stuff that, that runs off the tides. Um, uh, there's a third one I want to add is the oh simple. Oh, God. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so many of these. The, the wave flow. So much like the wind, there's also currents, and the currents can spin turbines. So there's another, there's a current flow. So I, there's tides, there's currents, and there's bobbing, I guess, the rise and fall. Yeah, I was going to call that wave energy, but bobbing seems good. That seems like the scientific term if I had to guess. Listen, listen, listen. Layman terms work <laughs> so much better in my head. No, that's all good. Um, but yeah, so uh, hydrokinetic energy, it's basically, it, it's almost kind of like a, I don't know. Now, is that the bobbing one? <laughs> that's the, uh, <laughs> yes, it's kind of, it's the bobbing one. Oh. Um. But they also have they also have turbines. Basically, it uh, it runs off the the tides and the ebb and flow of the water. So yeah, probably your turbines. Then the wave ones run off the waves going up and down. So I guess that would be the bobbing one, and the hydrokinetic would be the turbine one. Uh, so the ones that I came across where there's ones like. Uh, buoys that simply go up and down that up and down motion much like uh, perhaps many of you have seen uh, magnetic flashlights where they have a magnet and you shake it and it produces electricity so that's all it is a magnet going through a solenoid again going back to magnets or it's either it's either magnets or boiling water I swear to god so going the up and down feature taking that wave energy of going down and up having those natural curves that proves that moves a magnet up and down which should produce electricity I also saw tidal waves, which is kind of a force of the waves pushing something. So pushing a turbine or pushing a, I don't know, piezo disc, so like a, like a, cork, a cork crystal to produce electricity. Then there's also currents, which I saw, which are underwater turbines, which are pretty much just using underwater flow to spin turbines, much like wind, but simply underwater. Cool. Um, so I'm going to add on maybe clarify maybe confuse so the ocean has two different kinds of energy you got uh, thermal energy from the sun and mechanical energy from the tides and the waves tides are driven by the moon um was it hemingway who said the moon does strange things to uh, the waves and women good quote uh doesn't work in this time though people don't like that um and then you have waves which are driven by winds um, they're both intermittent tides and waves but the sunlight is constant so however using the waves um, is has the greatest potential of energy production just because while it's not constant like thermal energy from the sun it has the greatest I guess flux would be the word, is that you can get a lot of energy. It might not be all at the same time, but eventually you'll get a lot of energy. So so I actually disagree with that statement. What I saw for the highest energy producers is the underwater currents. But before I get into that, I want to hear, I want to have you finish your statement. I just wanted to make note of that so I don't forget. Well, Mike, now I have to sit here and defend the government website I'm reading off of. 
Good luck so, with that. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, that's probably true. I um, taking advantage of wave energy, they can't be more than forty meters deep, which is pretty close to shore. So I'm I'm imagining if you get in some of those offshore offshore currents, they're probably going to be a lot more efficient than uh, that wave energy. However, then you have the problem of getting that electricity back to shore, which I think is part of the reason that the wave energy is seen as more... I don't think any of these are necessarily more reliable, but maybe more feasible. I would agree with that, that wave slash water energy is less feasible compared to the other ones we've discussed. Um, um, there's another one that... I don't think is ever going to happen because it's pretty bad for the environment. It's uh, essentially creating a dam across the border to an estuary and using the tides that go in and then harvesting them as they go in and out using their the incoming and outgoing tides to move some kind of turbine, which is uh, it's also constant. Tides constantly go up and down every single day. I live on the coast. This is true. But that's essentially like putting a roadblock in the middle of some of the most unique and fragile ecosystems on the planet, and I don't think it's ever going to work in the United States. Um, I guess just saying, but it is out there. Uh, tides are are constant. Yes. Um, for wave energy, at least wave production, uh, it comes in many forms. The most of energy efficient one i saw were using turbines and currents that being said currents are pretty consistent whether it be formed by winds or geography uh there are current paths which the oceans follow which we've mapped out pretty well which i mean we've all seen finding nemo that actually came to my mind when researching this so i'm glad we're on the same page that being said, the amount of different turbines I saw, so how they collected these currents is the same way we collect wind energy with wind turbines. You stick some propellers in there and they spin the propellers, which spin the magnet, which spins inside a co uh, solenoid, which produces electricity. The amount of different unique turbines I saw for current were numerous. It was no lack of imagination there. Because don't forget, you have to keep it in location. You have to transport the energy. You have to have the most efficient turbine blades. You have to withstand the salt water, which, boy, that is hard to do. Salt water is corrosive as hell. And the amount of different types of shape were straight out of science fiction. It, the amount, uh, the classic propellers that you see on a single engine that was small piece, but there are so many different shapes. That I saw the most because they are the most consistent, so you can consistently get out electricity. For the bobbers, which I am now calling because I simply like that term, <laughs> is, again, pushing a magnet up and down through a solenoid using wave energy. Again, waves are pretty consistent simply because, well, they're being blown by the wind and the tides help create waves. Well the tides are created by the moon. So it pulls by the gravitational force and pushing back in. So that creates an up and down motion that up and down motion. I mean, say, say it's a small amount, one kilowatt per bobber. Well, you can have 
millions. There's so much coastline that you could add those onto. The only problem is getting it to shore, which is a whole other episode in itself of storing and transporting energy. So that to me is the most problematic is placing the equipment in place because it's underwater. So scuba gear, navigational gear, uh, you got to keep it in location and transporting electricity. I mean, it's viable, but hard to do. Um, For the tidal implementation that you were talking about, Nick, of having tides move a turbine, inshore, I I can't see that. Offset uh, offset shore, I can see it. But again, like you said, Nick, the environment is a very check and balance system. and, And fluctuating with that might make it quite difficult for wildlife to survive there. Well, and that's kind of what uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service said that I was reading about it is like no one's tried this because it's so it's probably so damaging the environment that we just don't have any data on it. But it is out there and these are what we can tell you can go wrong. And it was pretty much everything. But uh, but I didn't want to talk about the I have a little graph here of the effects and impacts of ecological relevance. Um, basically, what talks about what's going to happen with construction, operation, and decommission of uh, kind of the plant, the uh, turbines that are in the channel or the anything that's anchored to the ground or floating. Um, bobbers is what you might call them. <laughs> bobbers. When you put it in, you're going to have uh, most likely it's going to need some kind of anchor, so it's going to remove sediment and disturb sediment which is going to uh, cause uh, habitat destruction of different species, increased turbidity, so less you know, the water is not going to be as clear. Um, it's going to increase the biological oxygen demand. So as you release more stuff in the water, I guess the fish need more water, or sorry, more oxygen. When you release random stuff into it, they need more oxygen to move that around, I guess. And it's also going to increase noise and vibration, which would then, um, the end effect of that is it's going to reduce species diversity. Uh, It's going to increase in opportunist abundance, which is basically a fancy way of saying if there's any invasive species you're going to take over or because of this new habitat, if one of those species is able to fill that role of predator or whatever it is in this new habitat, it's made for them so to say uh they're just, gonna just become a quick little thing uh yep like you said noise noise is huge underneath the water um for those who don't know noise pollution underwater it heavily affects fish life just wanted to point that out yeah so you're gonna have uh if certain species are more well suited to this kind of more destructive environment then they're gonna take off and then species that kind of move around you're gonna have they're gonna be displaced they're not gonna want to be around this this turbine it can cause hearing loss in fish, which Mike mentioned. Not just hearing loss, but breeding loss. Like uh, noise, pol- uh, noise pollution affects fish species on multiple levels. Yeah, and uh, another thing that Fish and Wildlife found was that you can also find uh, from the turbines electromagnetic field uh, frequency disruption. So species that use electromagnetic field to navigate your navigational species just off the top of my head i think that's going to be like whales and sharks um who travel all over the globe and then meet back at and and salmon i believe as well not entirely sure 
even though we just did an episode on it, but find our way back to a certain place. Actually, I think salmon you smell, if I remember right. But uh, but it disrupts that because you have a giant freaking magnet underwater, um, as well as, like Mike mentioned, the noise. It disrupts species because you're throwing out a bunch of noise in the water. And uh, it, it moves sediment around. It creates more sediment. Um, more possible pollution, simply having more material out there. You might lose some to the weather because, I mean, those seven seas, they're quite strong. And you can lose quite things. And boy, you know what we need more, Nick, in the ocean? More pollution, more uh, more, <laughs> more junk. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much all I had for ecological problems with uh, this kind of um, the turbines. So, give you, a, I have a list of species that the magnetic field will affect uh, turtles, whales, and dolphins, common eels, and salmons seals and crabs and lobsters so pretty much everything so either things that i think are adorable or things i want to eat that's fantastic as 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 well as sharks again things i think are adorable (laughs) um yeah so it's uh it's not without flaws just like everything else we've gone over I think, me personally, wave energy has the most potential, but it's the hardest out of all of them to implement because there's, I mean, you're dealing with Mother Nature at her peak strength. I don't, I, I think, I think implementing geothermal would be easier in the United States than it would be to implement wave energy. Wave energy is, it's a whole other monster in itself simply because you need to transport the energy. One, implementing it, making enough turbines where you can produce in high enough electricity but not block up flow of fish migrations but have them spread enough in the right locations to create the optimal electricity that's a fine balance that can be easily disrupted i mean in you're only thinking about fish and production you're not thinking about what's one of the most valuable resources in real estate oceanfront property imagine you put a bunch of freaking turbines or or wave generators your bobbers out there people are not going to be happy about that and then just like anything this is solar panels bobbers whatever is creates a a micro habitat so say solar panels you're going to create a shadow where there otherwise wouldn't be you're going to get a little bit more water retention you might get a little bit more insects in there because of that and then because of that you're going to get more birds and stuff that preys on birds same with thing with your bobbers you're going to get mussels that come in there you're going to get fish that feed on the stuff that falls off the mussels the the waste and you're going to get fish that eat on those fish you're creating micro micro ecosystems in each of these areas not saying it's right or wrong i'm just saying that's what's going to happen um well a big thing for me was barnacles and salt water i don't think people understand how corrosive salt water is salt water can eat through most materials except for microplastics because petroleum is on a whole other level uh but salt water can destroy gears i don't even have any idea i <laughs> make you like this i have no fathom get it fathom water of what it will do to any any magnets and uh, i mean we might only have be able to use ceramic magnets ceramic magnets underwater instead of neonium. You might be able to use strontium. 
But anyhow, uh, this corrosive material, this barnacles, this stuff can grow on it. I the maintenance. I mean, I'm trying to think of the carbon dioxide produced by simply maintenance. Like you have to get it a scuba gear, or you have to get a boat, or you have to get a submarine. All that is. I mean, from my knowledge, there's no electrical submarine. There's no major produce electrical deep sea boat. I mean, that's all carbon dioxide being produced. I don't think wave technology is quite there quite yet. No, I don't think it either. I don't think it is either. I just, and it, again, I want to say we're not trying to to be a downer on any single form of electricity. We're just trying to say that nothing is without fault and you have to weigh the pros and cons when you're discussing these things not wear the rose color glasses but um nick if i may since we're talking about water there's a couple energy sources that are far from being implemented but are on the horizon which i wish to mention and they're not quite there yet again on the horizon but I think they have potential, which I want to run through really quickly and just get your opinion on it and perhaps go from there. But one of them being blue energy. That's what the nickname is for it. It's where freshwater rivers meet salt water. There are a lot of waters that run off into salt water, being both either seas or oceans. And using osmotic power, that's, I mean, when fresh water is separated from a membrane from salt water, the fresh water is naturally drawn to salt water. This pressure created because the water, fresh water is drawn to salt water produces a pressure which can be produced into electricity through a turbine. There's another process which is very similar called reverse electrodialysis, which is simply, you know, fresh water being drawn into salt water, but instead through more filters, which creates more electricity. Uh, I'm curious about this simply because of brine, which is turning salt water, it's a byproduct, which is turning salt water into fresh water, which is becoming more common throughout the entire world. I think this might have a very interesting feature because we have an abundance of salt water. Another one, which we kind of sort of mentioned with wind turbines is lightning. Well, I, I just, I'm kind of confused by that. So like I live in a tidally influenced area. So where that tide where that saltwater and freshwater meet moves throughout the day as the tide goes up and down. So I guess I, I have no idea how this works. So if this is a stupid question, let me know. But uh, does it need to be, does it like, are you going to capture that saltwater as it moves up and then capture the freshwater, it moves down and then put them together? Or is it just at that time of day when right where that plant is that they meet, that that's when you can operate? So what I can understand, it's almost like two reservoir jugs. And once you're out of the reservoir jugs, then you refill them. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, that's from my understanding. I didn't know blue energy was a thing until researching this. I didn't know this was a process. Uh, that being said, I think it's going to be its own separate episode simply because it's not an implemented technology. All the, epi- all the technology we've talked about for green slash renewable energy is all either implemented or trying to be implemented. Uh, the ones I'm mentioning currently are futuristic slash people want to add them but they're not quite there yet which is the major difference is why i saved them towards the end of it um i got a one that's also not super implemented i don't know if you have this uh landfill biogas i do not have that one please explain okay so um 
if you, those of you who don't know, we have a lot of landfills in the United States. And uh, basically this process is capturing, you see those land, you see those, I mean, landfills is the right term, but they cover them up. So, you know, it's got grass on the top, but it's got those white and red poles sticking up that, to release all the gas that's decomposing inside. A.K.A. methane, God knows what else. Yes, predominantly methane. So it's basically capturing that methane and then using that to power certain things. Now, there's, it's in, I wouldn't say huge production, but I know it's in small-scale production. I know someone who worked in this industry, and uh, they travel all over the uh, <laughs> all over the country, kind of getting it set up and, and doing this and that. But uh, it wasn't like a, you know, it's not one of your big ones. But, I mean, we're, it's pretty smart, right? Like, we're always going to produce trash. So you might as well get some of that back. I mean, I'm all for energy at every point. I don't understand why we have to have one energy source to be the, the golden child. Why can't we have multiple? There can be only one. All right, Highlander, calm down. Well, uh, another subject point we were talking about with uh, windmills was lightning. Holy crap. Does lightning produce a lot of electricity? We're just missing the technology to capture it. Uh, lightning is... It, I mean, it produces billions with a B of watts per strike. Per strike, billions of watts. It's just sitting there like, haha, you could power all your shit if only you could catch me. It's like it's like it's like uh your friend like tapping you like I like just poking the shit out of you and you just can't catch his hand fast enough. I mean, when you're trying to calm that drunk friend down, but he's just a little bit too drunk. I feel like that was at me, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> not after the weekend i had oh god uh but with lightning collection i mean there are some places that are consistent with lightning strikes in uh porito chinchilla venezuela you're talking about that one guy who's been hit three times no 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 this is not a person this is a city (laughs) or town in this place in venezuela it has lightning storms 260 nights out of the year on average with dozens upon dozens of lightning strikes. That's, I mean, after one night, you could probably produce enough electricity to power the entire world. It's just capturing it. I mean, granted, in this location, it's in Venezuela, so you might have a hard time with the government, you know, doing anything, but it's a a possibility. I mean, lightning strike is the, I mean, just simply capturing it, simply because it has, it's hard because there's so many, so much energy being produced, it's so much heat, it's just almost nigh impossible. Um, another one being phase changing material, which I'm not sure for for you are Nick, but based on its temperature, it depend it changes from solid to liquid or liquid to gas, et cetera, et cetera, which might be implemented well with solar panels if it's uh, heat dependent phase changing material. You could add that to the mirrors where the solar panels hit. And lastly, one I came across, which, again, these are all going to be their own separate episode or episode all combined, quantum energy, the quantum physics world. So made up energy. Shut up. Uh, these, this energy, well, we might be able to draw unlimited energy from the vacuum of space. Well, yes, but also. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that fits it pretty well. Uh, quantum energy, boy, that is... Uh, that's a little complex. I need a little more research on it. But, I mean, quarks, neutrons, gluons, they're all there. 
they're all transferring energy. They're all connected. And physicists and scientists have theorized this possibility, and some have done experimentations upon. We might literally be able to draw electricity out of thin air. And by thin air, I mean no air in a vacuum. Which, if we're able to draw electricity from the vacuum of space... So what you're saying is you can't draw electricity out of thin air at all, but you can draw it out of a vacuum. There you go. But if we're able to draw it out of the vacuum of space, there's a lot of real estate out there, Nick, of empty space. That could be a future not just for Earth, but for us expanding the stars if we're able to collect energy from the vacuum of space. Oh, so we should put a lot of more small drones up into orbit is what you're saying. As long as it's not low Earth orbit, orbit where we can uh, snowball effect into more debris to destroy multiple satellites. But yes, uh, these all, all these new forms of energy are not quite there yet. They're not being implemented, they're not being mass-produced, or they're not already current. But they are growing green energy and new energy, which I'm excited to see. And I look forward to do their minis are full on these, but... The world is full of different ways to produce electricity, different ways that we can meet everyone's energy de demands, means, even more than we already currently have. We just need to stop looking at a golden child and start looking at them all together. They're a cohesion unit. Why does it have to be solar versus wind, waves versus geothermal, nuclear versus coal? Why can't we have them all, but just do them all properly and responsibly? I think that's the best way forward for renewable and green energy. To have our cake and eat it too, but just not have the hugest slice of the cake. I definitely agree. And again, I, I want to I throw out, it may seem like we shit on a bunch of different types of energy. Countries. <clears throat> in certain countries. The countries thing may be intentional. I don't know. But... <laughs> We weren't trying to say one is better than the other. Like Mike said, I, I think we both agree. You, there's not one that's, this is it. Um, but in different places, one's going to be better than the other. I mean, that's that's obvious. You know, there's certain places that you're going to use a dam versus places you're going to use a wind turbine. But a combination of all those things is going to provide the the best and, going back to beginning, cleanest source of energy for the United States. And I think it needs you know, something that the most common denominator we I saw when comparing energy is kilograms per kilowatt hour of CO2 or, you know, CO2 per kilowatt hour. But it's important to look at where do the, for lack of a better term, uh, ingredients come from? Where, where are the, where's the metal that you're mining coming from? Where, you know, stuff like that. Like, Devil's in the details. Where's the, yeah. You know, oh, this is green. We just have to have these huge open pit lithium mines. Like, let's just kind of look at the whole thing. Um, but hopefully, we all learned a lot more about every single one of these. I know Mike filled me in on a lot of stuff that I, I didn't necessarily research, even though I, I thought I had a good picture of it. Oh, if you should definitely do your own research. I am a fool with a capital F. And for those who do the actual research and those who implement the science stuff, please make a standard. It's so confusing. E even to, to research this, it's just so confusing, all the different standards people use. Well, Mike, before we get out of here, unless you had anything else, what are you reading? 
I am still reading Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, which I am really enjoying. It is a funny, interesting book, and I implore you all to listen to it or read it. What about you, my friend? What are you reading or listening to? I'm still reading, I was about to say Green Lights, but no, I am reading uh, Charlie Wilson's War about the United States' involvement in Afghanistan when the Russians were there. Super timely, really good, cannot put it down. Also depressing. Um, <laughs> Feels like many books we read. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I definitely recommend it. I, I Again, I cannot put this book down, and I have to put it down in order to do things that need to get done, and it's frustrating because I don't have enough time to finish it, but I, I'm almost done, and I would highly recommend it. But also, uh, out of curiosity, if people want to tell us about something we missed or had misinformed about renewable slash green energy or simply different process that we never did discuss, Nick, where could they find us or tell us about it? You can find us on Facebook. We're not very active there. So basically just look for us on Instagram and YouTube. And uh, you cannot find us on Twitter because... No positive energies ever <laughs> developed there. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the pros and cons of different renewable resources today, and we are at three and a half hours. So if you can explain to me a nuanced conversation about renewable resources in 250 characters or less, please go ahead. <laughs> well, on that bomb note, I want to thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.